0: Welcome to the Irresistible Marketing Pod, the podcast that wants to help you face your inner demons and make friends with them so that they don't thwart your dreams. I'm your host, Issa Gauchi, your marketing confidence cheerleader and owner of the M. Messaging Digital Marketing Agency. Today, I'm going to share with you a business survival story, mine. And to be real, this is a little more dear diary than I normally get, but I'm hoping that You find it helpful. And if you get all cringy when business podcasts get too personal, then fair warning. Anyhow, I recently celebrated my business's second birthday, and I'm really happy, proud, and grateful to have made it this far, especially in light of the alarming statistic that more than 30% of new small businesses fail by their second year. But I wanted to give you an honest accounting of what it really took to get here. Minus the Instagram filter, sans, bootstrapping nonsense, or any toxic positivity spin. So, here's what it really took, the risks I had to take, and the hardest one lessons I learned. I share this hoping that it can bring you some ease and convince you that you're not behind. Just give it time. I also hope to convince you that your heroes had help, so if you are needing help right now, there's nothing wrong with you. And I also hope to convince you that your mistakes are your biggest teachers, so every time you fail, there is gold in it, because it's wisdom you wouldn't come by any other way. I've decided to take a high-fidelity style approach to evaluating my first two years as a business owner. So I'll be looking at the top three. I'll be taking a top three accounting of different aspects of my first two years of entrepreneurship. And I'm going to kind of switch off between shadows and light. So we're going to go dark and then we're going to lighten it up with some hopefulness and we'll, we'll switch off so nothing gets too heavy or too, um, aspirational, inspirational, and and we're gonna we're gonna balance it out because that's life, right? So let's start with talking about the biggest risks that I took as an entrepreneur in my first two years of business. And I truly believe after lots of lived experience that the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And damn, have I had to take some really freaking big risks since opening my business. And risks is relative, right? We all have our different measuring sticks for this. So what might be a huge emotional risk to me might not feel like no big deal to you and vice versa. So keep that in mind. Anyway, here are the top three hardest risks in my personal business journey and why they were more than worth it. So third biggest risk I took was to come out professionally. Now, when I first opened Emisa Messaging, I was still stuck in a super corporate, super conservative mindset around professionalism and what that meant in a lot of ways. I'd really taken what I'd been told by my higher ups and my previous roles and jobs that my experiences as a queer Chicana femme were too political to be in any way acknowledged at work. And like, you know, not my activism or going to the protests as was something I did, but simply like existing in that identity as a queer (laughs) Chicana femme um, was not to be spoken about in corporate settings, um, according to the bosses I have I've had in my experience, be- lest we scare away people who might pay us by me being too political, i. e., um, existing, <laughs> in other words. So basically, I really had that message hammered in in my my previous roles, previous jobs, working for other people, that if I was ever too political, no one would pay for my work. And too political meant simply being out in the identity that I live in every single day. So fear had kept me in the corporate closet for a really freaking long time. And just to throw this out there, I'm not blaming myself for this. I was literally told that people... I couldn't make money or my company couldn't make money or I'd hurt my company if I was out for a long time. So um, it makes sense that I took that message to heart because it was repeated to me so often. So when I did, though, become my own boss and no one had to give me permission for anything about what I did in my own business, I still stayed in the corporate closet for a while. And... Not just in terms of my identity, in terms of being queer, um, my political leanings, my beliefs and my values, but even in like the service structure of my business, like the way I presented my offers, the offers I presented and even how I messaged my business and my services. It was like corporate with some mild spice, like one chili pepper. But that's kind of weird because I am not a mildly spicy person. I am a whole damn ghost pepper. I am a set your taste buds on fire sort of person. And it's really actually true. Some people can't handle the heat. Some people hate spiciness. And I am too political in my lived identity. And as loud as I am now, I am too political for some people to want to work with me or or spend money on me. But here's the thing. Some people love the heat. Some people love my spiciness. And it took me a long time to feel safe being as spicy, as flavorful, as political as I am, and to trust that there are enough people who love my spice for my business to make it while I am being fully and authentically me. It took a while to build up that trust that even though, yes, there are people that hate spice, there are homophobic people in the world, there are racist people in the world, there are misogynistic people in the world, and yes, a lot of them have money, and they won't be spending it on me <laughs> my business, but it's okay because there are enough people who love all of that about me, who share identities like that or are In other marginalized identities who have been waiting for a marketer have been waiting for a service provider with this level of skill and expertise and passion and warmth to work with. And there are enough of those people, enough of them wanting to invest in me and work with me for my business to make it to thrive, to be okay. It took a while to build up that belief, folks. And the thing that i i really think marks this transition for me for when i fully shed this kind of corporate in the closetness in so many different ways like yes about my sexual orientation but also about all sorts of different aspects about my authentic identity and what i actually wanted to do in the business world the, the thing that really marks my transition was um the amazing me too which is a publication I read religiously, graciously published um, my coming out story. And I love that publication. I follow all their accounts. I think they're great. I have so much fun. But it was really big for me to share my coming out story on such a large platform with the world with my real full name and my byline link, the name you'll see if you search me on LinkedIn, if you search me professionally in any way. Um, yes, my business is going to come up. My LinkedIn is going to come up. My professional accounts are going to come up. And that article is probably going to come up in one of the first results. And, you know, that felt really momentous for me. It felt like such a weight off my chest. And also, it felt like there's no turning back now because I'm really out, like really out now. And there's no turning back to the conservative corporate acceptability that i inhabited for so long in my safe 9 to 5 and there's no way if god forbid my business goes under <laughs> that like those folks would ever even consider hiring me back because i am so not a political now uh, by their definitions but you know the thing was even though it felt like sort of burning the bridge just to come out, just to come out, folks. I felt so much freer and so much later. even if my old jobs would never even think of hiring me back should my business fall through. It was more than worth it to get to be me fully, my full identity, my full authentic me in my business and to trust that that is enough and that people will want to work with me, not in spite of that, but because of that. So that was my number 3 risk so it only gets <laughs> juicier from here folks. My number 2 biggest risk that I took in my first 2 years as a business owner was going into some major debt. I am coming out of the debt closet now. I'm in about $14,000 in debt not counting student loans I owe and I don't have any shame about it, folks. I'm not embarrassed. I don't think I made any bad decisions. And here, let me lay out where all that money went. So mainly, to be real, it went to living expenses. Now, I'm blessed as fuck that my business has pretty much paid for itself right from the start since about month three. But there have been many, many months when it didn't cover anything outside of, its own expenses, and like a few of my bills. And when you're putting rent, food, medical care, etc. on your credit card, it can add up really fast. And no, I actually haven't tried to get a day job so far. Sorry, my dog is Uh, dreaming loudly I actually haven't tried to get a day job so far because it it doesn't feel aligned and I simply do not have the extra energy for it and I am just not willing to put myself in a position for more burnout like I've had enough burnout in my life we're all done with her so no um I'm willing to be in debt due to that decision uh, where else did the money go? Okay, so <laughs> here's a little shout out to all you newbie entrepreneurs. Don't forget about self-employment taxes, which I didn't realize I owed. So um, I'm going to have to get on a payment plan for that. And where else did the money go? It went to emotional support. So being an entrepreneur has brought me face to face with so many of my inner demons Especially, especially, especially my fear of uncertainty and my money wounds. After all, as a Hispanic woman, I'm part of one of the lowest paid demographics in the United States. Needless to say, this has brought up many challenging emotions that definitely would have shut me down and sent me into a freeze were it not for my investing in therapy and business coaching as non-negotiables, no matter how tight money got. And my money also has gone to self-care, or my negative money, my debt, (laughs) is also partly due to self-care. And folks, I do not regret this at all. My body has shown me time and time again that when I don't rest, when I don't take good care of myself, I get sick. I get crippled by migraines that incapacitate me for days on end. So, I have got to make time and space and invest in the things that will get me to exercise, that will make room for me to meditate, my roller skating events, my pole dancing classes, tarot cards and oracle decks. And I still freaking splurge on going blonde, going to brunches with my friends and getting stuff to spoil my pets because every single investment I decide is aligned for me when I make it to support my well-being, my happiness helps me to show up better for my business and for my clients. Where else did the money go? It went to community. I run a digital marketing agency and most of my marketing confidence cheerleading clients are virtual. It can get pretty isolated and echo chambery if I'm not making an effort to be social. But it's very, very, very important that I surround myself with the right sort of people. People who will motivate, inspire, and encourage me rather than feed into my doubts and fears. So, I've invested in membership in several entrepreneurship groups like Upper Left Ladies and the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven so that I can feed my social needs with a community that truly lifts my spirits. So to sum up, though debt has felt really, really scary for me for much of my life, reading back through this list of where that money went, I am still 100% convinced that it was worth it. Look what debt has allowed me to build, my awesome freaking business. No regrets. All right, my number one biggest risk I had to take in my first two years as a business owner was dropping my more conventional services. So thanks to Money Panic, when I first opened Mesa Messaging, I offered something like 36 services, most of them done for you marketing services. I thought I should make myself available to do anything I had the skills to do for whoever needed help, regardless of whether I actually enjoyed providing that service or not. And I modeled a lot of this on Uh, marketing agency I used to work for, and where I had like my own team, much bigger budget. And um, somehow I didn't think I should downsize just, you know, being a one person business aside from some awesome part time uh, team members at the start. Uh, But slowly, I grew to realize that just because I could do something didn't mean I should do it. If I didn't love it, I shouldn't offer it, is long story short, though we'll talk about this more later in this episode. Slowly, I began to believe that I was allowed to only sell what I wanted to provide. And so inch by inch, I assembled faith that I could make a living doing what was fun and easy for me. Even if it wasn't my conventional, I'll just handle your website for you, or I'll just write your blog, or manage your social media, or Um, teach you how to look at your marketing metrics, even if it was something I made up, which is marketing confidence cheerleading. And it's this hybrid coaching consulting service that is entirely established and made up by me, myself and I. So there's not a precedent for it before. And so that was scary being like, I can just create the thing that I am suited to provide and go all in on that. It took me a while to get there, folks. Almost the first Full first two years in business. All right, let's break it up with going over my top three best new beliefs I established in my first two years of business. And the reason why this is important is because when I say entrepreneurship forced me to face my demons, well, as I mentioned, most of my demons turned out to be internal ghouls as in a super harsh inner critic, money wounds, and a locked-in scarcity mindset that tended to cloud my vision with fear, and people-pleasing behavior that was so normal to me because the scared child version of me way back when was holding on to that behavior as all she knew for how to keep herself safe. So, in other words... My main inner demons were beliefs that I learned in an effort to keep myself safe at some point in my past. After all, a belief is just a thought that you've had over and over again until it becomes a habit. Luckily, that means that you can change any belief that you want to by practicing new beliefs in its place. So, these are three beliefs I had to practice before they became beliefs. So these were beliefs that were intentionally believed because they were replacing something else that was a less helpful belief I had before going into entrepreneurship and and one I actively worked to change in order to Support my growth and my ability to serve my clients to my highest ability and run my business with the highest possible integrity to the world and to my vision. So um, one of these top three beliefs is that work does not have to be hard. So let me get into detail about why this is so meaningful for me. When I opened Emisa Messaging, I assumed that what came easily to me came easily to everybody. I assumed that what was fun for me was fun for everybody. Therefore, no point in charging good money for my natural skills, talents, and aptitudes. Well, that was silly. (laughs) What an odd belief. It must have been conditioned into me along with the notion that money only comes from hard grueling, unpleasant work, that technical skills are worth more than creative ones, that no one really cares about the big picture of vision or meaning. Well, I've had to work to unlearn and unbelieve all of that-ish. What comes easily to me does not come easily to everyone else what comes easily to you, my love, does not come easily to everyone else either. And if it doesn't come easily to someone else, of course it's worth good money for me to just handle it for them. Even if it's easy and fun for me to handle it for them. Even if it's something that others might call woo-woo. Even if it's lending you my expansive imagination to help you envision what you really want so that your desires aren't overshadowed by your fears. Even if it's kind of like um, amorphous and uh, an inner transformation like that, that's harder to explain in conventional bro marketing terms. Besides, hard, grueling, unpleasant work is hard, grueling, and unpleasant And it leads to resentment of whoever is asking me to do it. And you know, I really don't want to resent my clients. I do not want to structure my business so that I am likely to resent them. Which means I shouldn't offer to do work for them that I don't actually want to do. When I spend my days in hard and unpleasant toil, I get sick more often. And I get burnt out. Sober now, I can't keep working and making the money. So you see how it's actually like a financially bad decision to just offer conventional services that no one would raise an eyebrow at that just don't light me up, just aren't my thing. But when I do work that is fun for me, that is a fit for my natural abilities and the things I want to keep learning and growing in, I can't wait for work every day. I freaking love everyone who wants me to collaborate with them so that I can do what I love in service of them. Like, it benefits me because I love doing it. It benefits them because they don't. Or that it's filling a gap in their, their current skill set or what have you. So, the truth is, doing the work I actually want to do is fun want to do and is fun and easy for me is the financially prudent choice for structuring my business and my offers. It just took a whole lot of freaking trial and error and practicing of new beliefs before I could accept that. So just so you know, this wasn't an overnight, um, change in these kind of diametrically opposite beliefs. Like this took practice. This took leaps of faith. This took, um, repetition and work and trust to get myself to accept that, that the most financially feasible and responsible thing for me to offer was the thing I actually wanted to offer. All right. My second most, um, helpful belief that I have adopted in my first two years as an entrepreneur is that money is a limitless resource ooh boys I've hinted previously I have had to do a lot of work on my money mindset to make it these past two years and to be real if you knew me before and you're like what the fuck girl I remember you way back when you're right because I have been a negative Nancy scarcity queen for much of my life so I really really, really had to try hard to practice new thoughts about money to keep myself from freaking out about every other day as a new entrepreneur with unreliable pay. So here are some of the best new beliefs about money that I have been practicing, probably borrowed or cobbled together from the likes of Intuitive Edge Coaching, Tiffany Chung of The Social Reset, Simone Grace Soul of um, Joyful Marketing or Manifestation Babe or um, the book, We Should All Be Millionaires. (laughs) So I'm imagining I'm inspired by all these folks in terms of money mindset. So these beliefs have probably been borrowed or cobbled together from these various sources. Check them out if you wanna get more into this. Anyway, please take what is helpful for you and leave the rest as you see fit. So here are my new beliefs about money that I have been practicing a lot. Money is a limitless resource. There is more than enough money circulating in the world for me to have everything I could ever want or need. I am a money magnet. Money flows to me effortlessly just for me being me. Money flows to me faster and with greater ease when I rest. People love to pay me for the incredible value that I provide the transformation they get from working with me is worth more to them than the financial investment. I've set my prices correctly when I am excited and energized whenever I make a sale, not pre-exhausted at the thought of completing the work for that engagement. I notice when money flows to me and show appreciation in whatever amount it's showing up so that I signal that I want it to keep coming back. Investments are a celebration of trust that money will come back to me tenfold. All right, my number one most valuable new belief that I've adopted in my first two years as an entrepreneur. My thoughts are valuable. One of my big fears when I first started out was, what if no one cares what I have to say? What if all this content I'm working so hard on is useless to anybody but me? And in my cheerleading sessions, I know a lot of y'all have this exact same fear. But here's the thing. You can't know how your thoughts help others unless you share them. So... In order to start sharing them, you have to train yourself to believe the following before you have the proof. If I am struggling with this, then someone else is too. Knowing what I now know could have saved a past version of me a lot of trouble. So sharing what I've learned will help anyone who is currently experiencing what I was going through then. We all have different brains. My perspective gives others the opportunity to see things in an entirely new way they might not have come to on their own. What if my favorite author never wrote my favorite book? What if my favorite singer never wrote my favorite song? what if the podcast that calms me down whenever I am feeling anxious never got made because the host was worried no one cared what they had to say? My thoughts, my creations mean that much to someone else. Now, before you start telling me you're too afraid of being arrogant to practice thoughts like that, let me ask you, who does it hurt? Who does it hurt for you to decide to believe that your thoughts are valuable? Deciding your thoughts are valuable doesn't mean you can't learn new things and can't change your perspective when appropriate. It just means you value your own wisdom and believe that other people who could benefit from it deserve to hear it. And also, as I said before, How would you ever know? How would you ever know whether or not people find your thoughts valuable without testing it out by, you know, sharing your thoughts? And not just to the people in your immediate circle. There is a whole internet out there. Share your thoughts and share your content so your people can find you and take part in your beautiful business and your offers that they've been waiting for someone to provide all right back to the dark side of entrepreneurship we're gonna talk about the biggest slices of humble pie I had to eat in my first two years as a business owner and look these two years have been incredibly rewarding I don't think anything has accelerated my personal growth so much as opening and running a business and having to be this accountable to myself and others. But honestly, the most powerful and valuable lessons were ones I learned through failures and fuck-ups. So, here are the biggest slices of humble pie I was served and why I'm glad that I made a a feast of it. So... Slice number three, learning the hard way that even if I can do everything at once, I can't do it all well. So as I mentioned before, if you wanted me to do literally anything and everything for you in terms of marketing when I first started my business, I would. To be honest, that was biting off way more than I could chew, even with some awesome team members helping me out. Because, folks, marketing is huge, it's vast, and it's constantly evolving. There is no freaking way that me or a small team could be good and knowledgeable about all of marketing. So even when I went to superhuman efforts to entirely handle multiple businesses marketing for them all at once, they were getting mixed bag results. Because there are some things I'm good at and some things that I'm not. There are some things I enjoy doing in marketing and there are things that I do not. At first, I thought I had to convince folks I was good at all of marketing or they wouldn't trust in my expertise. Bad move, people. It's better for everyone involved for me to be clear with myself and with others about what I'm good at, what my team members are good at, what we actually enjoy providing remember just because you technically can do something doesn't mean you should or that you have to so stick to your strengths stick to your interests stick to your passions they are more than enough to make you the money you need to live on all right second slice of pie learning the hard way that i cannot half-ass a launch look I'm real good at other people's launches, just not so much with my own. Like seriously, I know how to launch. I just had a client make back eight times her investment in my custom launch plan for her during her soft launch alone. So if you're coming to me or you're worried like, wait, I just bought a marketing plan from you. Don't worry. I'm really good at other people's launches. But here's the thing why my marketing plans are great for other people. I make sure to assess and factor in the person's style and needs. How does their brain like to be motivated? Do they need structure and checklists? Or do they need to make it amorphous and flowy so they can ride the creative wave where it takes them? Because see, I'm very much the latter. But since corporate America so much values the former so heavily and more so and And often um, trains folks as though that's the only way to do things. And I was so practiced in it that it took me a while to remember to assess my own style. So here's something I've learned that I am guilty of. I get really excited about my mentor's advice. Um, I get excited about curriculums for influencers or coaches I follow or work with. I get really hyped about other people's launch formulas when I love them and I love their work. But that enthusiasm and hype lasts for only about a minute, like a really short amount of time. Um, Well, longer than a minute, but... Long story short, when I get hyped about someone else's process and decide to go all in on their process without checking in with whether it's aligned with me, my enthusiasm fizzles out real quick and my launches tend to flop because I'm not properly promoting them and my energy isn't there. I've learned that traditional structure, put it on the calendar launches just don't work for me. If I want my launch to be successful, I need I have to simplify. I need to make it open to flow. My launches need to work with my short bursts of energy and focus and long periods of rest, recovery, and receptivity. That means my most successful launches are either A, a super short spur of the moment launch that allows me to promote only when I'm in the short span of fuck yes energy. So for instance, I hold secret sales every now and then for my one-on-one cheerleading and I sometimes offer these um, just to my most engaged followers. And these secret sales last about three to seven days tops. So I don't need to keep my energy and focus and enthusiasm up for long for that. My other super successful launches are long-term, open-ended evergreen launches that allow me to build content on my schedule and continuously welcome in new clients. And if I need to dip for a minute and focus on serving clients or take a vacation or um, just be in receptive mode and let myself be inspired without making a lot of new promotional content, it's fun. (laughs) It's just something I'm always promoting um, when I'm promoting. And that's why moving forward you'll pretty much only hear about me promoting my season of support and um, funnels into that offer moving forward the takeaway is that i don't get the results i want when i half-ass launches and i know this about myself i will half-ass a launch formula that doesn't fit my brain my creative cycles my energy and my style so I got to be really careful when I learn about other people's launches or I'm given formulas from other people that I respect and admire because I can get excited by them and forget to tune in to me. So even if it is a great formula for other people, I've got to check in with myself and take only what works for me and leave the rest. And if that's leaving the whole dang template, leaving the whole dang formula, then that's what I will do because the only way to ensure I full ass my own launches is for me to do it my way in my own rhythm. For me, that requires less structure and more flow. And this is no shade if you're the opposite. The takeaway here is that get to know what you need, how you stay motivated and hyped and energized and show up with your full energy and enthusiasm and warmth to your launch. And if that's structure and checklist for you, great. It's good that you know that about yourself. If that's, you're going to um, get overwhelmed after three days with a heavy duty checklist and you um, need it to be much more open-ended, then great. That's good that you know that about yourself. When you know what you need, when you know your style, when you know your pace, when you know your rhythm, then, then you can plan your launch accordingly. Okay. So, number one slice of humble pie I've had to down as um, a two years in business owner is needing and accepting help. Y'all, this is so uncomfortable and hard for me, but I'm going to get real here. So, one of the hardest things I've had to accept is that I need help to make it in business. The most humbling help I've had to receive was moving back to the family farm so that I could do farm work in lieu of rent while I build my business. So with my fledgling business slowly earning money, my credit cards getting worn out, and a ghastly chronic illness that can knock me out for days at a time, paying my rent bills and all my pets expenses all at once stopped being feasible. So the best choice for me if i didn't want to give up on my dream if i didn't want to divide my focus was to just come back to the farm and being an adult back at her parents house certainly brought its fair shame fair share of shame for me to work through um you know i i know i know the stigma i i've heard it <laughs> my inner critic has been yelling at me about it but here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, the more I studied and worked with incredible mentors, the more I learned that all of my heroes had help too. And I am so grateful that they are open in their marketing about this so that when we new baby new entrepreneurs need some help ourselves, we don't feel like we're uniquely fucked up or screwing up or um doomed in business. Help can come in so many different forms, but here are some common forms of help many now successful new entrepreneurs have received. And I want to list these out for you. So if you are doing any compare and despair or wondering how they ever got there and you can barely hold it together and you're freaking out every day, I want you to know that Many of your heroes in business, many of your solopreneur faves, many of your badass femmes in business, and digital CEOs had the kind of help I'm going to list out now. So financial support from a spouse or family member is actually really common. Sometimes for years before their businesses take off. Another really common one is income from a less than glamorous day job. Therapy, that's a big one. Um, that's a huge privilege to have that sort of emotional support and help as is medical care for you other entrepreneurs that suffer from chronic illness and pa- and chronic pain. That's really major, especially if you can't afford to go to the doctor or your health insurance is crazy. Um, a lot of people have that support that are able to get, get to the place you want to go. Um, another really common thing to have had help with for successful entrepreneurs is help around the house, especially cleaning, meal prep and laundry. Also, child care is a big one, um, like paid child care or, uh, free child care for a family member. So what I, my aim for this is not to shame anyone or make you feel hopeless if you don't have this sort of help yet, but I just want you to know that help is normal. It's something people often feel shame about. So they don't talk about it as much on Instagram or in their, their TikToks or in their highlights reels. But help is really normal um, for the entrepreneurs you look up to. You know, and the biggest one of all that isn't quite just covered by therapy is that Every single successful entrepreneur I look up to has had emotional support, and they take pains to invest in it. Most of them have gone into debt for it at some point. All of my mentors have mentors, for instance. All of my coaches have coaches. All of my therapists have their own therapist. All of my favorite community members and colleagues contribute to building and participating in communities. The point is, if you feel like you can't do it all alone, of course you can't. No one actually does do it all on their own. There is nothing wrong with needing help, asking for help, and receiving help. There's nothing shameful about that. You have nothing to be ashamed of if you've had to accept an uncomfortable amount of help to support yourself as you get your business to take off. All right, let's lighten it up again. I want to talk about the best investments that I've made in my first two years as a business owner. So, as they say, you gotta spend money to make money. The trick is figuring out where to spend money. The best investments I've made have been those that support my emotional well being while I navigate bigger and bigger challenges and greater levels of uncertainty and responsibility as an entrepreneur. So emotional support is the help that I need the most. When I am emotionally well, I have more spaciousness for warmth, for creativity, for serving and interacting with my people in my highest capacity. So here are the non-negotiable investments in my emotional well-being I made, even when I was broke as fuck. And yes, these are my top three best investments are all for emotional support. So... One of my top three is membership to communities of like-minded entrepreneurs. As mentioned before, the people we surround ourselves with have a huge influence on our outlook, our mindset, and our mood. As a new entrepreneur, I learned quickly that spending too much time with negative Nancys, doubting Thomases, and otherwise glass-half-empty Eeyore types will quickly knock me off of my game. And I don't want to be knocked off of my game. I've got Too much writing on this for me to allow myself to be impacted that way. I realized that if I'm to spend time with folks, that time needs to feel inspiring, not defensive or draining. And to be honest, at the time of me first opening Amisa Messaging, I didn't actually have such company to rely upon. It didn't pre-exist in my life. So I went out and found the company that I was seeking. So as I mentioned before, I joined the Elemental Entrepreneurship Coven to learn the ropes of owning and operating a business while being supported by other new, neurodivergent, sensitive BB entrepreneurs. I also locally joined Upper Left Ladies so I could have regular fun meetups with other witchy femme entrepreneurs at all stages of business. And let me tell you, being a part of these communities really helped because I always had someone to talk to who would uplift me rather than feed into my doubts. And I always had inspiring people to hang out with. I never felt like I was alone or shouting into the void because I always had people to bounce ideas off of. And I learned from the coach and or other groups answers whenever anyone else was brave enough to share what they were working through even if I wasn't brave enough to share that day. And last but not least, I made some freaking seriously awesome friends. And you'll hear a lot of them on this very podcast, actually, because um, they're inspiring y'all. They're doing amazing work. And I wanted their perspectives here. All right. The second um, investment that I want to shout out as being one of my smartest as a new entrepreneur in my first two years of business was hiring a business coach. It always helps to have someone who has been there before to show you the ropes, especially if they're skilled at stopping you and helping you to acknowledge your wins, giving you a new perspective for a more expansive outlook, hitting pause on your spiral, and giving you tools to come back into your body, validating when you need validation, supporting your boundaries and giving you scripts for how to uphold them, and offering ideas and avenues you wouldn't have otherwise thought of. Business coaching was and is an absolute lifesaver for me as an entrepreneur. That's why I've heavily invested both money and time in working with some great coaches. I want to give a special shout out here to Sarah Beyer of Intuitive Edge Coaching as being um, one of my mentors I'm super grateful for. All right. We've come to my um, number one be- best investment as a-, a new entrepreneur in my first two years of owning a business. And you guessed it, it's therapy. <laughs> um, like I said, I've never had to come face to face with my deepest, darkest fears as when I opened my own business and suddenly I had to put a monetary price tag on the value of my work. If that won't bring up self-esteem issues, I don't know what will. Anyway, I was entirely responsible for my results. There is no one else I can blame when something goes wrong as much as I may want to. (laughs) And I had to emotionally navigate failing over and over and over again without letting it crush me. I had to tell myself I was allowed to rest even when I wasn't sure where my next paycheck would come from or when it would arrive. I had to learn how to feel safe amidst chaos and uncertainty. And I had to set boundaries even when people were upset or disappointed by them. I had to confront my avoidant attachment style so I could handle challenges rather than just ignore them and hope they go away on their own. So Thank God for my weekly therapy session so that I had a safe place to process all of this and learn new healthy coping skills. Honestly, without therapy, I'm sure the only place you'd have been able to find me was at the bottom of a bottle. All right, let's get real dark before we bring it home with some lightness we're gonna talk about my three biggest losses in my first year as a biz- or first two years as a business owner. So stepping into my new dream role as my own boss of my own dream company required me to shed an old version of me and many of the trappings of my former life. I'm going to let you in on the top three biggest, as in most painful losses that came with this transition. I promise it was worth it though. So one of them was the people who aren't my people. Remember how I talked about quickly and learning that being around the wrong people knocks me off my vibe? It doesn't mean that they're bad people or that I don't care for them. It just means that I can't do the work I came here to do. I can't go all in on my big dreams. I can't take the risks for the rewards that I am after when my social sphere is feeding me doubt a focus on scarcity and lack, negativity and resentment. I care about my vibe too much to allow it to be poisoned. That meant that I had to leave some old friends, colleagues, and even mentors behind. So my number two biggest loss in my first two years as a business owner was my deference to authority and other people's rules. So if you've known me for a long time, you know I in general kind of have a problem with authority. But weirdly enough, interpersonally, I am pretty much a teacher's pet. I used to take pride in my ability to follow direction, perfect every assignment, plus the extra credit. I felt safe in the approval of the person I was learning from or working for. And i do anything for that approval so that I could feel safe. In other words, I was a big old people pleaser. But as my own boss, I have had to learn how to trust my wisdom above all others to reject all formulas, templates, and advice that aren't a good fit for me. This was actually a super rough transition. Just to take one silly little example, it took me
1: forever
0: to accept that I could really truly set my own hours instead of working nine to five, <laughs> that I was actually allowed to just not be a morning person because I've never been a morning person, not once ever in my life. It took me a long time to accept that I had permission to set my calendar to not accept any meetings before noon. But the hardest test was learning not to follow the advice of my coaches and mentors when it wasn't right for me. Even especially when I love, trust, and appreciate and look up to that mentor or coach. So thank goodness I now have the confidence to A, only listen to advice from people I respect and trust. B, only take that advice if it feels aligned. And c. Hold my ground without getting defensive when I receive pushback about my decisions or direction. All right. My number one biggest loss in my first two years as a business owner was my old understanding of safety. Not having a steady paycheck in the sense of the first and third Friday of every month I get paid X amount really, really challenged my sense of safety. Safety is primal. It's survival. It's knowing you can count on yourself to get food and shelter and to care for your loved ones. But working a job I hated that was wrecking my mental health and draining me of time and energy wasn't actually safe. This is what I have come to realize. I thought that was safety because of that regular first and third Friday paycheck, but it wasn't. That wasn't safe at all even though that paycheck was reliable. So if a steady paycheck doesn't make me safe, then what does? Here's what safety has come to mean to me. Trusting that no matter what comes my way, I'll handle it with grace. Safety now gets to be a thing I carry with me always, regardless of my circumstances. Alright, I hope that letting you in on some of my biggest challenges in my first two years in business has brought you some solace if you are struggling with anything similar at this point in your business journey. But by letting my demons out of the closet, I don't want you to assume that entrepreneurship is just a non-stop emotional horror show. So to close out, let me leave you with my three biggest wins from my first two years in business. And one of them is the launch of this very podcast that you're listening to right now, my beloved Irresistible Marketing Pod. This podcast has been on my mind, on my heart, and the tip of my tongue for quite a while now. And I'm honestly not sure what took me so long to actually start it, but I am so happy that I did. Each episode feels so good to release, and it literally feels like a physical release. It's like a weight of wisdom off my chest that needs to come out because it was always meant to be shared. I've had the opportunity to speak to some incredible guests, to redefine professionalism on my own terms, and to do my damnedest to promote the awareness, the creativity, and the insight to inspire people to make irresistible marketing that is also ethical and contributes to the world that we want to live in as in inclusive beyond rainbow capitalism, fat phobia-free, invitational rather than intrusive, and consent-based rather than coercive. I am so proud of the Irresistible Marketing Pod, so if you haven't already, please do make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of this gold. All right. My number two biggest win in my first two years of business was finally getting to the point where I can focus on what I actually want to offer to the people I actually want to serve. (laughs) So like I mentioned, when I first opened Mesa Messaging, I started out with something like 36 plus services. And it turns out I did not actually enjoy providing all 36 of those services. So I let several go and my business coach will be very proud to hear if she's listening that I'm down to four core offers at this point. So um, my favorite one, Marketing Confidence Cheerleading, is my hybrid one-on-one coaching consulting service designed to vanquish all of your marketing blocks and get you to fall back in love with your brand while also getting you super hyped about your offers. I've also got the popular brand storytelling package that literally gives you the words to turn your message into magic. When you've got too much mind noise going on, too many emotional blocks or history to hear the spirit of your business, I act as your medium. Plus, you get a dazzling messaging framework to make sure everyone working on your brand stays on brand because everyone is on the same page about what that brand is. My other most popular service is marketing plans for launches and leveling up. And this is custom strategy, baby. Not just for your field and the size of your business or how long you've been in business, but for you, your creative style, the time and resources you have available, your neurodivergence if you're spicy like that. And then Lastly is Content Cauldron, where in less than two hours of time on your part a month, I spin your genius into content gold to have an irresistible presence on all of your marketing channels. And if you're more of a verbal pontificator, why not outsource to a copy queen slash social media butterfly like myself? These are all offers I'm super proud of and that I enjoy providing. And though my mentor had to tell me to literally quadruple my prices for just about all of them, i finally priced them in a way that feels like a fair and appropriate exchange of energy. How do I know? Now, whenever I sell these services, I feel excited and energized. Whereas when I was undercharging, I felt drained at the prospect of actually carrying out the work. I've also dropped trying to appeal to everybody. I used to hold the false notion, like I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that only a certain type of person could afford me. Thanks, old boss, for all that conditioning about why paying customers wouldn't pay me if I were too political. Anyway, luckily, I've shed that belief and my marketing has massively benefited from me doing just that. My messaging has gotten spicier, I swear up and down everywhere, I'm aggressively queer, I pole dance and I roller skate in booty shorts on my professional social media, and I talk about being sexy as fuck on purpose on my business podcast. I am woo-woo in public, proudly. I've sold a marketing witchery workshop, and there are currently tarot spreads for confidence and creativity on sale in my store. So, um, also out of the broom closet, I suppose, and you know what, this turns a lot of people off to me and you know what, this turns a lot of people on to me. The ones who love to see me being me are the ones who throw money at me and resonate so deeply with me that I am genuinely able to help their open minds and open hearts. And there are enough of them for my business to turn a tidy profit there are enough of them for my business to thrive all right number one thing that i am most proud of my biggest win from my first two years in business is my happy clients and their glowing testimonials so i'm most proud of having helped usher in profound transformations and up levels for my clients oddly it actually took a while for me to be able to accept acknowledge, and take to heart when this happened, even with five star reviews and like beautiful testimonials so I the way I brought this into my heart the way I let it sink in the way I began to believe it was I heard on a podcast somewhere that someone kept a file of fabulous where they started like tracking any positive feedback they receive about their business and their work. And I was like, oh, that's a great idea. So I do that now. And I bought a really cute notebook with all these wildflowers on it, um, which felt fitting because it's kind of a practice of collecting and pressing my flowers. And this way I can read it back when I'm having a confidence wobble, or my inner critic is trying to convince me that I suck at what I do. Because Oh, look, I have all of this evidence to the contrary that, nope, I don't suck. I'm really good at this. And yes, even the marketing confidence cheerleader has confidence wobbles from time to time. So the main takeaways out of all of this, since we're now at the end of this episode, and thank you for sitting with me through my um, major wisdom mining for my first two years in business. I hope you found it helpful To sum it up, the main takeaways of all the hell and turmoil and challenges I went through in these past two years are these. Every time a client falls back in love with their brand and gets excited about marketing, it all feels worth it. Every time I get to genuinely help someone who I'm rooting for to win, I am filled with gratitude that I fought so hard for the opportunity to do this work for these people. Every lesson on the other side of failure was worth the pain of failing. The failure was worth it. I am grateful for the failure because of the amazing things I learned from failing. And lastly, I am so proud of my resilience, my willingness to ask for and receive help, and the communities that have held me so that I could make it this far. I am truly grateful. I am truly blessed. For every single one of you who has been a client, who has left me nice comments, has followed my accounts, who has been a friend, who's been a colleague, who's been a community member, who's been a coach, who's been supportive, just thank you for all of you. I'm so grateful I get to be here. I'm I'm so grateful I get to share all of this with you. I hope you found this helpful and that it saved you from making some of the same mistakes I did. If you'd like your first two years in business to be a lot less bumbling and much more batty, you're so invited to take my free mini course on why your business needs you to step into your evil queen era. All you need is 10 minutes or less for five days. The Lessons get sent straight to your inbox so you can go at your own pace. There's no homework, it's just some cute little videos you can kick back and relax and watch. And if you'd like to work with me one-on-one, I would love to be your marketing confidence cheerleader and you can um, check out the show notes and click on season of support or pep talk in a pinch for how to hire me as your own personal marketing confidence cheerleader. And lastly, if you enjoyed this episode and would like to keep them coming, please leave a five-star review and share this episode with a friend.